Hello, my name is Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we have for you this week. Coming up today, I'll take a look at Embraer's plan to re-enter the turboprop market and what it's got planned, while Tom tells us about his little trip last week. Joe will give us an update on Alaskan startup Northern Pacific Airways, while I look at British Airways' awful news for Gatwick short-haul operations. Finally, we'll welcome lead journalist for North America, Jay Singh, back to the show to give us his highlights from his recent webinar with American Airlines. So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. And Joe, tell us about the turboprop from Embraer. I'm intrigued. Are you really? Yeah. <laughs> I know I'm you always tend to, intrigued by your You stories. tend to like your aircraft a little more jet-powered, a little, a little larger, do. Tom. But uh, mm. I happen to love a turboprop. <laughs> I but you'll be pleased to know I haven't got yes. any A380 stories this week. And there was so much I could have talked about, but I'm uh, being restrained. I'm disappointed in you, Tom. <laughs> But anyway, on to the turboprop. So it's been about a month since Embraer released its latest iteration of its anticipated new turboprop project. Um, so, you know, this aircraft is officially going to be launched at some point next year. It's not targeted for entry into service until 2027. Um, hmm. But Embraer has been releasing some tantalizing images. And the original images we had, it looked very much like a turboprop. The latest images we had, eagle-eyed lookeroners. Lookeroners, is that a thing? <laughs> Well, Let's I've noticed the engines have moved from their expected position under the wings to the rear of the aircraft. Um, now, why is that, I thought? Um, and Embraer were kind enough to give me a bit of time with their vice president of marketing and strategy, Rodrigo Silva y Souza, to uncover the reasons behind this design choice. So, hmm. number one, it's about the passenger experience. Um, you know, Embraer is really keen to reinvent the turboprop and to make it an attractive aircraft once again. Um, because, you know, passengers, particularly in the United States, are well known to despise the experience of flying a turboprop. Um, you know, they think they're noisy, they're uncomfortable, there's no overhead bin space. This hmm. is the reason that so many US airlines have gone for smaller jets rather than the turboprops. Um, you know, but it's a fairly universal um, hatred <laughs> for this type of flying. Um, so Embraer is going to be using the fuselage of the E-Jet as the foundation for the turboprops. So knowing everything thing we know about the E2, um, you know, it's going to be pretty awesome on the inside. It's going to have a 2-2 layout, generous personal space, and mm. obviously the larger and more accommodating overhead bins. All that's great, but it doesn't solve the issue of the noise and vibration from those propellers wearing around on the wings. So, making the cabin quieter and more comfortable meant thinking again about where the engines are going to be. Um, and I, when I spoke to Rodrigo, he said um, that by putting the engines at the rear of the aircraft, the noise levels they're getting in their simulation are basically the same that they have in their E2 jets. So, hmm. you know, it's going to be a much more jet-like experience. Um, he said also it's about the perception. You know, you haven't got these big kind of propellers just waving around over your head when you're getting on the plane. It makes it look much more modern, much more um, sort of futuristic and sleek. Um, and, you know, he wants people to be able to visually see it's the Embraer turboprop and they're going to be getting on something more modern and efficient and more environmentally friendly. Um, hmm. But there's a 
another key reason, which I found absolutely fascinating, is that they want to make it ready for alternative fuel um, and not just it's going to come to market capable of 100% SAF. That's a given. That's something they're specifying when they're um, looking for their engine supplier. But the other reason is that it makes it hydrogen ready as well. Um, now, I didn't realise, but hydrogen can't be stored in sort of flat tanks like you'd normally have on the wings of the aircraft. They need to mm. be stored in fairly spherical containers. So, like, um, it doesn't have to be a ball, but it can be like a cylinder. Um, it can't be a flat tank. Anyway, so by putting the um, storage for the, the fuel at the back of the aircraft, it means that it's nice and close to the engines. And there's obviously a ready-made sort of place for it um, mm. behind the bulkhead at the rear of the passenger cabin. So that's kind of the story of why the engines are where they are. And I know it's a ridiculous thing to talk about, but I found it all absolutely fascinating. Um, so it's it's to make it more cool and more comfortable and to make it ready for hydrogen in the coming future as well. Super. <laughs> I can tell you're absolutely riveted. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, you know, I'm excited for hydrogen, but you know, you know me, I'm just, we'll have it when we have it. You know, I'm not putting my eggs in the hydrogen basket just yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, but if you're thinking this is going to be 2027 before it comes to market, you know, yeah. Airbus is talking about hydrogen planes by 20, what, 2030, 2035? 2035, I think, for Airbus. It makes sense for it to be able to transition to that new fuel mm. type. If you consider how long some of the Dash 8s that are flying around mm. now have been with us on this Earth. <laughs> well, I mean, it does make sense because the problem we have with most planes with the whole transition to hydrogen is that you've got to replace the entire fleet but if you're sort of building planes with just replacing the engines in mind then you've already got a bit of a win there i think yeah definitely definitely mm. anyway i won't bore you with my turboprop stories anymore tom <laughs> uh, you wanted to tell us about something a bit older than that yeah a bit older and it had um jet engines <laughs> so <laughs> i got up crazy early on wednesday morning 5 a.m um, no, I got up at 4am because I had a train at 5am from Frankfurt to Hamburg and um, it was great because I got to do lots of work early in the morning. Um, but then when I got to Hamburg, I went to a warehouse sort of towards the t north of the city, which doesn't really sound like an aviation story yet, does it? <laughs> Not so Trains far. It sounds more like a, a trip to Ikea to me. Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> actually, I'd be happy with that. But um, there was perhaps some furniture there, but not Ikea furniture. So I went to see, we chatted, I think, two weeks ago about the upcoming auction of the two Boeing 707 jets and some other bits of aviation paraphernalia. Well, um, after that chat, um, Decal invited me up to Hamburg to sort of see the auction firsthand and get pictures of all of the bits. And uh, it was really interesting, you know, because they have basically thousands of piece, aviation pieces up for auction from, um, like, the majority are from the two Boeing um, 707s, but there's also some other cool stuff in there. Um, in terms of the 707s, you know, the highlights are the cockpits, which um, have been cut down, and they're starting bidding at 5,000 euros, but it seems they haven't got any bids yet, so fingers crossed for those. Um, you know, there's tons of bits of fuselage. They've got the engines from the aircraft. You name it, it's on auction. And it's just it was just incredible to see how many pieces there were because, you know, you look at it and you think, how has somebody managed to catalogue each part and then take several mm. photos of it that look presentable and then write a description for each part? You know, it must have been 
thousands of hours of work. Yeah. Um, but it was really impressive seeing it all in the hangar together because that's probably the last time that it will be together. Um, you know, there's also some other things here and there dotted around that are from um, newer aircraft and other aircraft. There's several sets of Recaro seating, um, sort of in a premium economy ness um there's <laughs> some catering boxes from newer aircraft and um, i've got my eye a- on all of them <laughs> yeah <laughs> my husband's promised if we buy enough of those he'll build me a kitchen out of the the um galley boxes that they mm. use on aircraft so oh, yeah. i've got them under my desk as my um sort of storage area there so nice. um they do work great but it's you know i'm interested to see how much it all goes for um it's just a shame that the aircraft are parted out but it's wonderful that people are going to be able to have a bit of aviation history in their home now you know like they've got these huge um 707 landing gear the main landing gears from one of the planes i can see that just being a sort of centerpiece in the headquarters of a aviation company uh, or maybe like the engine could go under a conference table you know i think the the sort of big ticket items perhaps would go to sort of more um, business uh, customers rather than c- private collectors but you know there's plenty of bits for every everyone and it starts at like five euros for bits of fuselage so yeah i found it fascinating just seeing how much there was because i couldn't believe it <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool you shared some really cool photos as well mm. i was quite envious of uh, your little trip out there because it did look very cool yeah, it was. And obviously, then I got to spend the weekend in Hamburg. So happy days. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, an airline that's flying something that's quite old, <laughs> not <laughs> not parting it out for people to own a part of. But uh, mm. so I expect some of our listeners have already heard of the startup calling itself Northern Pacific Airways. Um, this is a startup operating out of Alaska. Um, they're kind of looking to build themselves into the Iceland air of, of um, Anchorage, if you like. Okay. So um, they want to connect parts of Eastern Asia with um, the lower 48 states with a stopover in Alaska, which sounds kind of crazy, but um, interesting nonetheless. Um, and I managed to catch up with the CEO of the planned airline to find out um, kind of what his plans are. Um, but most excitingly, they've secured their first six Boeing 757s ahead of their mm. planned launch. So everything's going ahead. They, they're already getting the aircraft, which is great news. The first one, um, they managed to give me the tail number for that one, which is N206UW. And that's a 26-year-old 757-200, which used to fly for US Airways and then it went to American Airlines after the merger um, and it's been retired or it's been part it's been uh, parked up since January 2020 um, hmm. but it was the property of Airsale which is obviously a major leaser um, so it hadn't flown I don't think since about March last year and it's been out in uh, Roswell for storage but uh, it's now having its sea check it's having its new livery applied and it should arrive with Northern Pacific in December um, when it will have the registration NC 627NP. Um, and Rob McKinney, the CEO, tells me that all his planes will end in NP. So that's kind of their thing, Northern Pacific. Um, mm. And they've already secured another five as well, um, but they want 12 to launch. So he's talking to several other sources of airplanes to reach their target of 12 aircraft um, ready to begin operations. Um, so he's expecting a 757 to arrive in Alaska roughly every six weeks between December and when they get ready to launch. Um, mm. And they're looking to start flying kind of later on next year. They didn't want to kind of put their fingers on a date because there's lots of um, 
various licensing and, and paperwork and jumps hoops to jump through before they can and do that. And that other thing that we're not going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not going to talk about that. Um, so, you know, it might seem a bit weird for a brand new airline to be choosing a quarter of a century old Boeing 757 as its launch aircraft, especially but when I mean, there's much more efficient and modern aircraft out there. They're you cheap know, and cheerful to lease though, aren't they? They really are. You know, his, um, his words were, we look at the 757 as not Mr. Right, but Mr. Right now. Um, we mm. can acquire them sooner rather than later. And for Northern Pacific, the timing is really everything to make this project work. Um, you know, they want to maximise the post-COVID kind of revenge travel trend. Um, and the 757, you know, it's readily available, it's cheap, and it can make the stage length that they want. Um, so, you know, they... It's not only the fact that they've got this cool stopover going on, but he's also, you know, he was talking a lot of sense when I spoke to him. The immigration between Asia and the US is going to be so much easier in Anchorage. You know, mm. if you've ever stood in the queue for immigration at LAX or JFK, yep. you'll know exactly what Three I mean. Hours. Yeah, <laughs> it's a nightmare. But it was good because so. I got a good few... Uh, chapters of my audiobook done. So. <laughs> well, that's an upside, I suppose. But, you know, Alaska, they can immigrate very quickly. There's much shorter flight times. Mm. The flights, therefore, can be cheaper because there's going to be less catering and less faff needed. You know, they can operate the maximum utilization on that aircraft because of the shorter stage lengths. And then, of course, there's the stopover option, which people can explore the wonderful place that is Alaska. Um, and Rob McKinney is the guy who turned around um, or who acquired Raven Alaska. Um, and kind of turned that around out of its bankruptcy as well. So, you know, he's really looking keenly to what Raven can do in mm. terms of picking up these people that are on their stopover and ferrying them to the cool spots around Alaska. So, you know, it's all together sounds like a pretty good proposition. Mm. Um, and what I did find interesting, although it's going to be a low cost airline, um, full economy loading of the 757 would be rather um, kind of getting close to its range limitations if you're talking about going to um, Japan or wherever. So, to de-densify the cabin, they are looking at a premium economy product, which I think would be really cool. It's mm. not going to be like flat, you know, it's not going to be like uh, Polaris or Delta One or anything. It's going to be more like the premium economy Delta has on its 757s already, probably a 3-3 layout with a bit of extra legroom and, you know, just a few more creature comforts. Mm. Um, but they're looking at scaling this project very quickly. He's talking about 50 aircraft in the next four to five years, which sounds incredibly ambitious, but, you know, good luck to him. Um, and he's not limiting himself to the 757. It, as much as that's Mr. Right now, he's definitely looking to next generation aircraft for his future needs. So 737 Max, the A321 XLR he was talking about. Um, hmm. And even in the longer term, once they're past that 50 airplane goal, potentially even wide bodies as well. But, uh, you know, I really do wish him the best of luck. He reckons it's going to create around 450 jobs, 300 of which will be in Anchorage. So, you know, it's a big win-win for Alaska and uh, mm. I'd love to have a go. I just thought it was really cool that they had the sort of Neo mask on the window of these 757s that they sent us in the pictures. Everybody kept saying that's not a 757. Yeah. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Well, anyway, I wanted to talk about something a little closer to home for us, and that's BA at London Gatwick, because earlier this week, they basically confirmed that they are done with London Gatwick as far as they can see it. Um, they're suspending short-haul services from the airport just because it's not really economical for them. You know, there's 
a lot of low-cost carriers at Gatwick, or at least there were, you know, EasyJet, Wiz, Ryanair, they're all there, and they're selling low-cost fares, and then BA is selling um, higher-cost fares, you know. Um, they did speak to Balpa, um, the British Airline Pilot Association, and they were trying to sort of work out a deal where they could introduce a sort of low-cost subsidiary or something along those lines in London Gatwick, but Balper was against the proposals. Um, they said that they were unable to reach an agreement with British Airways on terms and conditions for the sort of short haul revision that would be acceptable to them. So, you know, BA took that and did what they would. Um, they were basically told us that they've been losing money on European flights from Gatwick for years. So this is like before the pandemic. Um and I guess now that their short haul from Gatwick is suspended anyway, it's like a great time for them to really work it out. You know, if if they were operating flights and then suddenly stopped them, there'd be a noticeable gap. But there's already the gap, so they just wouldn't be starting them up again if they don't. Um, it's a bit of a shame because, you know, there were some good routes there um, for me, I think. Um, you know, moving forward, they've said they're going to pursue alternative uses for the slots, but... It's not quite clear what that means because it could be that they go to other IAG airlines like Voiling or Level or, you know, they could even sell the slots. Um, it was quite interesting because Sirium sent us some data and they had 47 short haul routes from Gatwick. And actually all of these had other carriers on them from Gatwick to the destination except four. And these were Algiers, uh, Cologne, Bonn, Genoa and Manchester. So, you know, passengers aren't really going to be... Um, losing out it's only BA that's going to be losing out here they're going to keep a handful of um, sort of domestic short hauls to connect up to their long hauls from Gatwick so you know if you're going from Glasgow to uh, Cancun let's I don't know if BA flies there it's just off the top of my head going from Gatwick maybe um, you know they wouldn't have to fly to Heathrow and then take a bus or a train into London and then a train out or a bus you know um, yeah. so they're keeping that but there but are it's still just, connections there yeah, there's domestic connections, but as far as short haul <clears throat> goes, it's looking fairly dead at this point. Mm, that's a shame. Mm. I would love to see the slots go up for grabs because I know there's several airlines that would jump all over them. But uh, mm. I have a feeling IAG will want to keep them in house and will yeah, end up I just farming them off to. Uh, I mean, slots are so valuable. You know, they're not just going to want to get rid of them if they can keep them around because you never know when you're going to need them. Exactly, exactly. I expect we'll see a bit more voiling at, mm. uh, at Catwick in the near future. Mm. So, um, thanks for that, Tom. And uh, I'd My love pleasure. to welcome. <laughs> I'd love to welcome the wonderful Jay Singh back to the podcast. Jay, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. It's always great to be back. It's really good to have you here. So um, I handed the keys of the Simple Flying webinar to Jay, um, who took it for a really good test drive the other day with um, Vasu Raja, who is Chief Revenue Officer at American Airlines. And uh, I thought this was a great opportunity to have Jay back on the podcast to give us some feedback from their really cool conversation, um, which, of course, you can watch back on the Simple Flying site. Jay, what, what were your best bits from, from the chat you had with Mr. Raja? Well, you know, because we love segues on this podcast, I've been told, uh, let, let's take Tom's, you know, London piece. Um, one really interesting <laughs> tidbit that we learned was London Heathrow is America's largest international uh, connecting hub. Wow. Um, over Philadelphia, over Miami, you know, in terms of international passengers. Now, obviously, this excludes the domestic 
giants in Dallas and Charlotte that we also talked about. I think some other tidbits that our readers would really love to know about were New York, Seattle, Los Angeles, and how they're going to fit into a future airline. And really, American is committed to all of them. Um, Mr. Raja was very clear that growth is not out of uh, is, is not out of the realm of possibilities out of any of those airports, uh, especially mm. with the partnerships uh, with JetBlue and Alaska uh, on the East Coast and Alaska on the West Coast, and that lends into some really interesting ideas on new long haul and ultra long haul routes. Which I think when I asked about it, his he had one word for it. Absolutely. They're very interested in looking at new routes in that sector, um, particularly because of the wonderful Boeing 787 Dreamliner. Mm. Tom, you talked about that 707. You know, mm. It's come a long way since then. Um, American was an early yep. operator of the 707 ones, too. But really, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff on the network uh, domestically, internationally, fleet as well. Um, so if you missed it, uh, you can always watch again on Simple Flying. And we did miss you and you missed your presence, but there's a lot of great content from the webinar for sure. Cool. Thanks, Jay. I think one of the things I found really interesting was the fact that in the past, when they had those older aircraft, the 757s and the 767s mm. that were cheap to fly and cheap to operate, you know, they could be more experimental with their international network. But, you know, he said they were going to be a lot more focused and a lot more measured on how they kind of revived international going forward. So uh, mm. really interesting to see. Well, for another great segue on Simple Flying's podcast, where American cuts the 757s, Northern Pacific's going to pick them up and do the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Really interesting yeah. to see the pedigree of some of those planes as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, thanks so much for coming along, Jay. And uh, as he said, do watch the webinar back. It's on the mm. Simple Flying website. And of course, we're creating lots of written content from, uh, from some of the quotes from that as well. Um, and in case you forgot, we are currently planning our first two-day event, the Future Flying Forum, which will take place on November the 10th and 11th. Um, you can find out more about it and sign up at futureflyingforum.com. Um, this is going to be a flight like no other. <laughs> so please do join us on a trip to the future. Uh, but I think, you know, overall, that's all we've got time for on today's podcast. Quite enough cheese for one day. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed it. And welcome, <laughs> welcome your feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye.